Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. If you're a guest, um, we're so happy that you're here. Thanks you for, thank you for taking time out of your week and your day to be with us. And our hope is that you enjoy your experience. You feel welcome here. Most importantly, though, that you just get a sense of the love and presence of God in this place. And that you'll walk out of here different than when you came in. And uh, it goes uh, right along with the sermon series that we're in. It's entitled Encounters with Jesus. We're in week number two. Uh, last week we started out we talked about uh, Jesus uh, from Luke chapter 4, reading a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah concerning himself. It was a prophecy. And what we talked about was the looking at it, why Jesus came, the people that he came for, and what he came to do. And we talked that he did not come for people who have it all together. He did not come for people who have all their ducks in a row. As a matter of fact, he came for the people who don't know where their ducks are or how many that they have. And uh, he came to do, primarily, he came to do four things. He came to save he came to set free, he came to restore and fulfill. And our hope throughout this series is this, is that every person in our church and every person in our city would have a true encounter with Jesus. Not the historical fact that Jesus lived and not just from a story that we read about in the Bible, but I'm talking about the person of Jesus who is alive and active today. Because I'm convinced of this, when we truly encounter the person of Jesus, we'll never be the same. And we can't help but be the same. And so this week, we are going to go into our second um, week of it and uh, talk about our first encounter, and it's Jesus encountering Nicodemus. And how many of you took the opportunity to do the homework assignment I gave you and read the story? Great. Good, good. I, I talked with a lady out in the cafe, and she said, you know what? I forgot. And I was even reminded on Facebook all throughout the week, and I still forgot. So I'm glad that, you, that those of you who read it, it's awesome. My heart is this, because I know one thing. It's not my job to read the Bible for you. It's not my job to study it for you. And it's not my job to make sure you know what it says. It's just my job uh, to preach the gospel and provide opportunity for people to respond to it. And my heart is this. I don't say that condemningly. My heart is that each and every person in our church would encounter and engage the biblical narrative. Because what's in here is far better than anything that could come out of my mouth. And God gave us his word, gave it to us so that we could read it and take it with us wherever we go. And God has no higher calling on a person's life uh, than he does another. He's no respecter of persons. His revelation of Jesus is out there for anybody who wants to receive it. And so part of the reason for the homework assignment is that we will all engage with God's word uh, on our own time. And not just treat what we do on Sunday as the one day a week where we come just to get a little bit of Jesus to go on for the rest of our week. Right? He's there every day of the week. So we're going to go and we're going to read in John chapter uh, 3 about Nicodemus. And this week's going to be a little bit different. I don't have a lot of main points. I don't have a lot of principles that I'm going to share. Um, nothing wrong with that. But I just really want this story to inform us and us to take a look at the story of Jesus encountering this man, Nicodemus, and then what happened in his life and what can we learn from the story. You know, Jesus taught in parables quite a bit. As a matter of fact, in one of the Gospels or, uh, or two, it says that, and from this point forward, Jesus did not teach without the use of a parable. Jesus used stories because he wanted us to connect with the truth. And so I hope that we'll connect with the truth of this story today, and it'll get on the inside of us and, and change us. So join me in prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you that, as we already said, that your word is there for the taking. It's for us to read and to encounter and to transform us any time that we want. And so we just pray that, God, as we go through this today, Holy Spirit, that you would just show us things we've never seen before. And we would, we would just 
encounter the person of Jesus today. And we'll walk out of here different. And help me to speak this in a way that's clear, effective, and quick. And everybody said... Amen. Uh, how many of you would be honest enough to say that there is a, a, a person that has uh, somewhat of fame, whether it be a, an actor, actress, a musician, a historical figure, or an athlete whom you know some information about? And not just know some information, but for some reason or another, you really like this person. And uh, you have learned about their life, you know, where they were born, you know, where they grew up. You, knew, you know a bunch of facts and figures about them because you have some sort of connection with them. You watch them um, in their movies or listen to their songs or you watch them play uh, whatever sport they do. I don't know. I'm not going to ask for hands. But uh, for me growing up, I, I, and I said this before, I had a, a um, you know, I just loved Michael Jordan. The, the guy was literally my hero, right, wrong, or indifferent. My room was adorned with posters. I knew all about him. I knew his stats. I knew how tall he was. I knew how much he weighed. Um, I, I, knew, I knew a lot of things about Michael Jordan. Um, in fact, I still have a VHS tape of the VHS where I recorded it off TV when they beat the Utah Jazz and won, you know, won the championship. I, just, I loved Michael Jordan. I could tell you a lot about him, but there was one thing I could never tell you about Michael Jordan. One thing I could never say, I could never tell you that I knew him. I didn't know him. I never met him. If someone would say, Michael Jordan, do you know who Josh Earls is? He would say, I have no idea who that young man is. And I knew, I felt like I knew him, but I could, I've never met him, never shook hands with him, never spent time with him, never got to know who he is. That's the one thing I can never say. And the question is this, how many people in the world today, or maybe I would say are sitting here today, would say, I know a lot about Jesus, I've read a lot about him. I know that he's a historical figure. I know just know a lot of things about him, but do we really know him? Could we really say that we know the person of Jesus Christ? And you see, Nicodemus was a man who, he was a Pharisee. And before we go any further, I want to take an opportunity to talk about Pharisees. When we hear the word Pharisee today, for some of us, we automatically think of uh, the term hypocrite, right? It has a kind of a negative connotation where we just automatically think, if you're a Pharisee, then you're hypocritical. And there's some truth to that. But see, Pharisees back in this time, uh, they were a religious slash political sect of Jewish people. And uh, really in that day in the Bible, we, uh, we get a, a window into there were two main groups of Jews. Of Jewish people there, two main political religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were what we would consider, we would classify more as conservatives today, and the Sadducees were more of the liberal class of people. And Nicodemus finds himself being a Pharisee. So Pharisees were more conservative. They, uh, they believed in divine inspiration of Scripture. They believed in the fact that someone could be resurrected from the dead. Uh, they had a strict observance and adherence to the law. In fact, they had a great love and passion for the law. What I mean by the law? The Old Testament, all that God had given them. In fact, they began to form into a group in a time when the Jewish people were in captivity, and the majority of God's people began to just believe whatever the country uh, that was ruling over them believed, and the Pharisees came in to preserve not just the teachings, but uh, the teachings lived out, so to speak. They were very passionate about preserving the lifestyle in which God had called people to live. And so they were very well-educated people. They, they knew a lot. But what happened is, is, although they had really good intentions and they started out wanting to preserve something, it grew into this unhealthy um, lifestyle in which they began to add things to God's Word. 
They begin to add not just some things, but hundreds of things to uh, the, the, the law of God, all these rules and regulations. And what they'd done in the process is, is they started to reduce the law of God, which was, in, it was either, we have an incapability of fulfilling it, right, as human beings. We cannot live up to God's standard. But what they had done is with all the stuff they added, they brought it down to a level where they said, we are holy because of how we live our life. So they begin to kind of be in contrast with what God said. God says, be holy as I'm holy, be perfect as I'm perfect. And it's, it's impossible for human beings to be 100% perfect on their own. But that's kind of what they had, had begun to do. And because they knew so much about Scripture, they knew a ton of the Messiah. And they were looking for him to come. They were looking for Jesus to come. They believed to the letter of what God said. And they were looking for it. But they become pretty hypocritical. They begin to use all the stuff that they knew as a, as a means of saying, we're better than you. And people begin to see through that. And at this point in time, as much as they were looking for Jesus, as much as they knew that God was going to do that, they could not see what was in front of their face. They did not recognize, nor did they want to see that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew a lot about him. In fact, they probably knew more about the coming Messiah than, than the rest of people, but they could not see the fact that Jesus was there. And not only could they not see, they didn't want to. They did not like Jesus. All right? The Pharisees are responsible in, in large part for, for Jesus going to the cross. They were plotting to kill him. If you read throughout the Gospels, you'll see that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came together and united on one thing. We don't like this guy. We don't want anything to do with him. And we're going to do everything in our power to trap him and kill him. And you see, Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, he was a member of what was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group of about 70 uh, men comprised of Pharisees and Sadducees that were like the supreme administrative and judicial court for Judaism. They weren't the highest law of the land, but for Jews, when you went before the Sanhedrin, they were, they were bringing some sort of judicial um, law or some sort of, you know, punishment down on you, judging your lifestyle. And if you read throughout the book of Acts, you'll see that even some of the disciples went before the Sanhedrin to be judged for the preaching of Jesus that they were at. So this is who Nicodemus is. Very well educated, very well connected, a member of the highest judicial and administrative court of the Jews. He's kind of like a member of the Supreme Court. And so this is the guy that we're going to be talking about. And here's what I want to do. We're going to read this story. As we read, I'm just going to pause and talk about some things along the way. It's going to be a little more kind of conversational than normal. So let's jump right in. John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night. Why does he come to him at night? Some people say because he was ashamed, because he was guilty. Uh, really, I think that he came to him at night, at night because it was not very popular for Nicodemus to talk with Jesus. He came at a time when he could have a discussion with him when a lot of people couldn't see him. Maybe he was ashamed, but I think it's more to do with kind of self-preservation. Uh, for Nicodemus to go speak with Jesus, one who was hated, one who was rejected. And he shows Jesus respect because he calls him rabbi. Not only does he call Jesus rabbi, but he says, we all know. Who is we? We don't know. Maybe he's just saying we to make him feel, himself feel better. There wasn't a lot of people that were following Jesus at this point. 
We all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. So Nicodemus is, we see, he doesn't quite believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but he does recognize that what Jesus is doing is from God. He's healing people, setting people free. So he says, I know that God is with you. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, well, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So Jesus, right off the bat, begins to share the gospel with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Nicodemus asks, this is the last thing that Nicodemus says in this passage, how are these things possible. So Nicodemus, remember, he's a Pharisee. He pretty much believes that by his rule keeping and his ability to adhere to the law that he's already good to go. And Jesus begins to challenge him right off the bat. No one's going to come into heaven. No one's going to spend an eternity with me and the Father unless they're born again. Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb, right? Doesn't make much sense. He's thinking very literally. And Jesus, again, is talking to him. And then Jesus says this. He says, Nicodemus, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. You, you know the law. People respect you. People listen to you, and you don't even understand what I'm telling you. What he says is, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. It's an indictment. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, that's what Jesus used as a term to refer to himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Talking about how he's going to be crucified. And then Jesus tells Nicodemus, this is John 3, verse 16, one of the most famous passages of Scripture. If you went throughout the world today, probably more people could quote this passage of Scripture to you than any other passage of Scripture. You see, I always thought that this was uh, in the context of a sermon, right? John three sixteen. you think Jesus is out there proclaiming the gospel. But this one verse, which we use a lot when we're sharing the gospel with people, comes in a conversation, comes with Jesus speaking to Nicodemus one-on-one, right? One-on-one, just having a conversation. And really, he's giving Nicodemus preview to what he's going to teach because Jesus wasn't walking around teaching a whole lot about this particular thing. And Jesus says these words, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, me, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus continues, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil and hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they're doing, what God wants. So, 
That's the end of the encounter that we have with Nicodemus and Jesus. And if you read that this week and you thought to yourself, um, I don't really know what's going on because we don't get any resolution, right? It's like this would be an awkward conversation if you were having with somebody. You went to meet them. They do the majority of the talking, and when they're done talking, they leave. They don't say goodbye. They don't say, what do you think? They don't say, how are you doing? They just walk away. I don't really know if that's what happened, but verse 22, it says, and after Jesus and his disciples went this way. It's just like you hear about this. He unloads on Nicodemus the gospel. Hey, I'm the one and only son that God had, and he sent me to this earth to pay the penalty and eternal punishment for sin, and whoever believes in me is going to have eternal life. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. But about a boom. And, and for Nicodemus, he didn't even understand the first part, right? And Jesus just continues, and he's probably sitting there, scratching his head, trying to figure out what just happened, and then the Bible doesn't give us anything else. Because the story of Nicodemus does not appear in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He's only in the book of John. And for the longest time, I thought to myself, well, that's it. That's, that's, that's just the only time that Nicodemus appears in the Bible, is to have this amazing conversation with him, and then, boom, nothing, no resolution. And originally, I wasn't even going to talk about this story until I began to do some study, and some of you probably already know this, that I didn't. I didn't know that Nicodemus appears in the book of John two other times. He appears in chapter 7, and then he appears in chapter 19. I didn't know that. And so what I want to do now is I want to take a look at the, the other two spots where Nicodemus appears, and we'll really begin to unpack the encounter that he had with Jesus. Because from this point forward, I believe that Nicodemus was never the same person. Was never the same. And we go to chapter 7, verse 40 through 52. He said this, When the crowds... Heard him say, this crowd's hearing Jesus. Some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? See, back in that day, Galilee was like how some people treat us when they they find out we're from Jefferson County, right? They say, can any good thing come from Jefferson County? I don't know about you, but I've, I've experienced that on some level. You're from Jefferson County? So they're like, can any good thing come from Galilee? There's no way Jesus is the Messiah because nothing good comes out of Galilee. For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David, David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. They obviously didn't know that Jesus and his family went to Bethlehem and he was born there. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guard said. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? So the point, is there any one of us educated, appointed rulers of the country who even believe in the foolishness of what's coming out of this man's mouth? The foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. So they're trying again here. They're using the Bible to say that these people are ignorant for believing in Jesus. And they're even cursed. Since then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. He said, is it legal to convict a man before he is giving a hearing? So amongst his peers, amongst the rulers of probably the Sanhedrin, these well-educated, smart guys who are using the Bible to say that the people who believe in Jesus are wrong and cursed and they want to kill him and arrest him, Nicodemus stands up 
no longer at night, no longer where no one can see him, he stands up and asks a question. And the question that he asks is a question in defense of Jesus. Is it legal to convict this man before we even give him a hearing? He's defending Jesus. So he goes from, at night I don't want anybody to see me, to now I'm standing up in the public court of opinion, and I'm asking a question. And then this is what they asked Nicodemus. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. They were mad that this guy, Jesus, is saying that only he's the prophet, but he's the Messiah. And the people are starting to believe that Jesus is the prophet, is a prophet and the Messiah. And then they challenge Nicodemus. They challenge his, they challenge his intellectual ability. They challenge him on many levels. Are you from Galilee too? It's a huge insult that they throw at Nicodemus and say, search the scriptures. They're telling Nicodemus, a Pharisee who knows the scriptures, they all know them, and they're saying, are you so stupid that you would believe this? Go back to the scriptures. You must not have read them. You must not know what you're talking about, and see if anybody or the one who we've believed in for so long could ever come from here. And then that's it. That's chapter 7. Again, we don't really know. We know that something's happened. He just asks the question, doesn't stand up and say that he believes. Then we have to wait till chapter 19. And this, for me, is what sealed the deal on really wanting to speak this message. Like I said, I have no great principles, no five things for you to write down. But when I read this in chapter 19, I knew that the encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus forever changed him for the rest of his life. He was not the same person. Chapter 19, where we pick it up in verse 38 through 42, Jesus has just done what he came to do, and he died on the cross, and now they're uh, deciding on what they're going to do with his body. It says, Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Band can come back. Short message today, too. What sealed the deal for me was Nicodemus being at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. And not just that, but he comes with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus and to be responsible for burying it. He goes from chapter 3, from having this conversation with Jesus, not understanding a lot of what he said, but hearing the gospel. He heard it. To chapter 7, to where he asked for a, basically, to them to treat Jesus fairly, to chapter 19, where he is coming with Joseph of Arimathea. It's still at night, but to take the body of Jesus down. And not only does he do that, but depending on the translation you read, he brings 75 to 100 pounds of aloe and spices. They're burial spices. That's a lot. It's expensive. And in my study, I found this. They said that the 75 to 100 pounds of spices was enough for the burial of a king. They would use that amount, and that's how they would treat a king when he died. 
And that's what Nicodemus brought to the foot of the cross to take the body of Jesus. And not just take him off the cross, but they took him and they carried him to the tomb and they prepared his body for burial. And in that day, they would take cloth, strips of cloth, and they would wrap the body. They would put spices, wrap, spice, wrap, spice to keep the smell of decay going down. Well, what it showed me is, is that in this one act of Nicodemus coming to the cross at night and bringing 75 to 100 pounds, it was really, really significant. Because this one act of seemingly a small little detail tucked into you know, the end of the book of John, close to the end of the book of John, is this. Here is Nicodemus, a Jewish Pharisee, a Jewish leader and scribe of the day, whom a majority of the other of his peers did not believe it, but here's one who's representing Judaism, saying that Jesus is the king. Recognizing that in his suffering and in his shame and in his in all that he experienced on the cross, he was the king of the Jews. It wasn't just Gentiles or people who were outside of it saying that this was the king of the Jews. Here's a here's a man, well respected, well educated, with everything to lose. To this man who's the king of the Jews. This man was Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was a man who he knew all about, knew all the scriptures, all the prophecies, everything he had been taught for a long time. Encounters Jesus at the beginning, has a conversation that he doesn't really understand. Walks away from that. But although he walked away from the conversation, the conversation didn't walk away from him. He encountered Jesus. He was never the same. Last week we said this, the gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. We have no record of Jesus unpacking this and explaining to it Nicodemus and making sure that he fully understood it and walking him through the rest of his life. All we really have is Jesus saying these words and then just letting them be. He met Jesus. Jesus shared this. And I think those words just got on the inside of him and they changed him. Because he had everything to lose. And what Jewish tradition says, Jewish history, and this is not in our Bible, but these are people who wrote history about some of the figures in the Bible. Jewish history says this. It says that Nicodemus later became a public follower of Jesus, was baptized by Peter and John, and was kicked out of his position in the Sanhedrin. That's what history says. I can't give you the reference in the Bible because it's not in the Bible. I just I want to make that clear. It's history. So here's a man, comes to Jesus by night, Stands up, does what he does, takes the body of Jesus, puts it in the tomb, but is so impacted by it that he later publicly says, I believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I believe that he was the one whom we waited for for thousands of years. I believe that he is the one that this book of the law that I dedicated my life to preserving and living out, that he is the sum and the, of, of all of it. That in the old he was concealed and now he's been revealed. And I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That's some powerful stuff. These are the little, the little pieces of the, of the Bible that um, I didn't really know was there. It's chapter 7 and chapter 19. I didn't know were there. Nicodemus to me was just the guy that came at night, had a conversation with Jesus and said, Jesus said, you must be born again. I think at the end of his life, Nicodemus was born again. He met Jesus. He was no longer trying to figure out how he as an old man could go back into his mother's womb, but realized it was something spiritual. That it was this gift of everlasting life that Jesus told him about. That he didn't come to judge Nicodemus, but he came to save Nicodemus. 
See, the Pharisees were trying to judge everybody. They were trying to point out everybody's faults, everybody's, you know, bad things, trying to show them how they were not living up to the law and how they were good and they were holy and they were God's representatives on earth. That's what they believed. But Jesus says, I I didn't come to point out everybody's faults. I didn't come to show the world how bad they were. I came to save the world. See, God gave the law, the thing that they were so incredibly uh, passionate about preserving. He gave us his pure, perfect, holy standard, what we call the Ten Commandments. He gave those to Moses. He gave those to us not to bring salvation to us, but to show us our need for Jesus. What was written on those Ten Commandments can never save you. Is it bad? No. 100% good. 100% the holy, pristine standard of God. But it has no power to save you because the law never provided the sacrificial peace of redemption. It just told you, live like this, do this. If you don't do this, then you're wrong. Then you need someone greater than yourself to make a sacrifice. That's why for thousands of years, along with the law that God gave, he also gave a sacrificial system. You can't read the book of Exodus without reading the book of Leviticus. Because if you don't read the book of Leviticus, all you have is this law that never saves. You read the book of Leviticus, you see that God said, okay, here's my standard. I know you're never going to meet it. And then here is a, Leviticus is an entire book dedicated to the sacrifices that people could make to be in right standing with him. Jesus comes along, and he is the sacrifice for you and for me. And my question for every single one of us this morning, whether you've been in church your whole life or this is the first time that you've been here and everybody in between is, do you know him? Do you really know Jesus? Or do you know a lot about him? You know how old he was, that he was 33 years old, that he was born in Bethlehem, that he lived in Galilee, that he was from Nazareth. You, you can know a lot about him, and that's good. But I, I, I don't think in eternity the question is going to be, how many facts can you give me about Jesus? How many of his words can you quote out of his mouth? Is it, is it good to quote scripture? 100%, you better believe it. I think the question is going to be, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the words he spoke? Or do you know the one who spoke the words? question is, do you know the Bible? Or do you know the author of the Bible? That's the real question. And I want us to be a church that knows Jesus. That knows Jesus. Because when we know Jesus, we're going to do all the things that he called us to do. We're going to be all the things that he called us to be. And we're going to champion the cause of him and not try to use what he said and what the Bible says to promote our cause and to promote our own way of life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And in this story is the perfect picture of he and he alone being able to encounter someone, speak into their life, and change them. And wherever we go, whatever we do, he's with us and he's in us. And the gospel works best when the gospel does the work. Bow your heads with me. I just want to ask that question to all of us here this morning. Do you know Jesus? And if you'd like to, if you'd like to make Jesus the Savior of your life, for him to come in, change your heart 100%, forgive you of everything that you've, have, you've ever done, provide forgiveness for you for the things that you mess up for in the future, and for your life to be radically transformed. If you'd like to know Jesus, I'd, I'd love for you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you pray with you in just a moment second question is if say hey yeah i've 
I've had an encounter with Jesus before. I've accepted Jesus, but I, I want to I know him more. I want to have a, a, a more encounters with Jesus. I, I want to be able to, at the end of my life and where I'm at right now, to be able to say, I know him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Because I want to pray with you too. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're such a good and faithful God. It's so good that you sent us your son Jesus. And I just thank you for those people that raised their hand this morning that said they want to know you, to make you the savior of their life, to make you the Lord of their life, to transform their heart and forgive them completely. God, we thank you right now, but I believe by them shooting up their hand and boldly saying that, God, you've begun to do a work in their heart. And we thank you for their salvation. Because Jesus, you came to save, you came to set free, you came to restore, and you came to fulfill. You are the fulfillment of every promise. I thank you, Lord, for every single other person that raised their hand this morning and said, God, I just want to know Jesus every day of my life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, because you're the one who reveals to us the person of Jesus. So wherever they go, whatever they do, Holy Spirit, you're with them, and may you show them Jesus. Because when we see him, we'll never be the same. So God, we thank you for everything that you've done. And we thank you for what you're doing. And we look forward into the future with excitement, with passion, knowing that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And God, regardless of what is before us, we know that we're more than conquerors and that you're good and you're faithful. And everybody said, amen.